I want to invite you to open up your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. It will be in chapter 20 this morning, uh, beginning in verse 17. So Matthew 20, verse 17. Let me ask you, if you ever read uh, your Bible and get to a, a passage in which you say, wait a second, didn't I just read that? Maybe you're reading through a, a, a Bible plan, reading plan. Didn't I just read that a, a couple of days ago uh, in my reading? Then, then you flip back and you, you realize, well, no, you read a passage that had the same theme. Uh, it said much the same thing. It's very similar, but it's altogether a different passage. Uh, you know, we do that often if we spend much time in the Bible and we realize that there is redundancy and repetition in Scripture. Uh, but it's not there without reason and without purpose. The reason, or one of the reasons, the, one of the main reasons that we have repetition in Scripture is what? It's because we need it, isn't it? Uh, in fact, there are particular areas uh, in which uh, things seem to repeat again and again and again. It's the same theme again. Some of the words may be changed slightly from a different, uh, slightly different perspective, uh, but it's the same message. Why? Because we're often dull of hearing, to be honest. Uh, because in some cases, we're especially resistant to that word. And so we need it again and again. You know, that's what... Uh, you may have recognized if you've been here as we've gone through Matthew's gospel and especially the last few chapters. Uh, that's what we've been going through and we've got it again this morning. Uh, some of these passages are very similar to one another. They have the same theme, yet they use slightly different words and it's there to spell out very clearly to us something that we and clearly the disciples needed to hear. Uh, and so uh, we'll be looking... Again, this morning, something very, very similar. Uh, we are, once again, with Jesus and His disciples. Uh, and they're on this journey that they've been on uh, for at least a chapter and a half, uh, where they began up in Galilee, where Jesus spent most of His ministry time. Uh, and they're headed down to Jerusalem for a last time. In fact, they're getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. And... Uh, again, as we've had a, a couple of times in the passage I'm going to be reading this morning, there are two different accounts that are there, uh, yet they fit together. Uh, and in the first account, Jesus is going to tell his disciples for a third time, speak, uh, speaking about repetition, third time he's going to tell them what's going to happen to him when they get to Jerusalem. Uh, and yet, this time, he's going to give them greater detail uh, how it's going to happen, who uh, is going to, at whose hand it's going to happen. Uh, so he, he tells this to them, and uh, if, if you know the account, you know what's going to happen. This should have filled their minds and their hearts. It, it, it should have been the main thing that was there before them. Yet, if you read the second account... Uh, and the two are connected. It seems one happened right after the other. Uh, and as I read it in just a moment, look at, what, look at where their minds are once again. And they've been in this place before. 
They, they, they go from a place of hearing about the Lord Jesus, what's going to happen to Him, to a self-centeredness. And therefore, the repetitive teaching. They need it, and we need it as well. Uh, I'm going to begin reading again. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. This is God's Word. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem... I'll just make a comment there. He was going up from the perspective of if you're walking along the ground, it goes up. But it was down for us because we look at the map and, and Galilee's to the north. But uh, to them, it was up. Uh, as, as he was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this, uh, this word this morning. And we thank you for the gift that we've been given in the Lord Jesus. Uh, we thank you that you haven't just left us in our state of sinfulness but you have provided us with a way, with the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and so I pray this morning, uh, help us to see, open our eyes, wherever we are, wherever each individual is here, open our eyes that we might see Christ and see the gift that we've been given uh, that we might live. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what, uh, what Jesus has been describing to his disciples over the past uh, couple of chapters that we've gone through has been, in a word, different. Different from the world in which we live. You might even call it otherworldly. Uh, these, these men, these disciples, had spent their entire lives in what you might call the kingdom of this world, uh, living according to the patterns of this world. 
the ways of this world. They, they, they've always, they had always acted according to, to those patterns and, and the inclinations of their own hearts, largely, we know, through self-centered thinking. But now, you know, something new has happened. They, they followed Christ and they've received Christ as their Lord and their King. We can look back to chapter 16. We can hear the, the, the wonderful profession of uh, of Peter, as he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, and the other disciples affirm that. We can go all the way back to when they, they followed. And he said, come, follow me. And they left things behind and followed him. Uh, you know, to use language that doesn't come until later uh, in this redemptive story, but uh, they must no longer be what? Be conformed to this world. But they must be transformed by the renewal of their minds. And so Jesus has been teaching them as we walk through. He's been teaching them about what it looks like to live in that transformed way, in a way that's so different from the world around them. Yet, what we see in their behavior, this is not the first time, uh, but what we see is where their minds are, they're in those old worldly patterns, the self-centered way of living. That's what we see here again in this passage, just just think about, if you've been through this, about all that they've learned and they've heard from Jesus, who is the master teacher, uh, and yet here you've got these two, two disciples, the sons of Zebedee, so it's James and John, and, uh, and, and their mother, uh, their mother who is well known by Jesus, in fact, uh, she is going to be one of the women who will be there at the tomb. Uh, when after Jesus uh, dies, uh, yet they, and evidently this is this appears to be how it happened. They they have her go to Jesus on their behalf, and we don't know how much inclination she had inside. But they have their mother there, and uh, they got her to pose this question to Jesus: When you come into your kingdom. Please, let these sons of mine uh, be in the highest uh, positions, the highest exalted positions, one on your left hand and one on, on your right. Now, they probably got this into their minds and into their heads from at least something that, that Jesus said. We went through it a short time ago, a couple of weeks ago. It was back in chapter 19. You can look back there, chapter 19, verse 28. And Jesus had said this kind of enigmatic uh, statement. He said, to the disciples, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of, of Israel. He's speaking to the twelve. This appears not. This is not a, a message for us today, but but this appears to have put in their minds this, and so all of a sudden the question is is there. Um, can we be on your left and right? Can we be in those positions of, of, of greatest honor? You almost got to shake your head if you've been going through Jesus' teaching recently and just say, why don't they get it? Why don't they understand His teaching? Maybe you remember back, uh, back in chapter 18, the uh, very beginning of chapter 18, verse 1, so at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You remember what they were thinking about, what they were looking for? Position. Status. 
Who is the greatest? Is it me? Is it someone else that's here? What were they doing? They were going back to the old pattern, the old ways. And so Jesus taught, and He's been doing that ever since, teaching them again and again this, this new teaching, this radical thinking in this world, how to live in the kingdom of heaven. And yet, here they are, and they still, they don't get it. They go completely back to that way. Why? Now, it shouldn't be surprising to us that even though they've come into a new family, even though they, they have new hearts, new desires, they're not all the way where they will be, where uh, Pentecost and, and the, the giving of the Spirit in that way, yet they've been taught by the Lord, they're following Him, uh, and yet their old ways of thinking are still there. It was kind of like uh, what we saw when we first brought, uh, brought Caleb into our family. And by the way, I, I cleared it with Caleb to tell this story. Uh, but, you know, he came into our family, adopted, forever home. Uh, and right there at the beginning when he first came in, we began to teach, you know, families are different. And so we began to teach, well, this is how things are in our family. And so we, we taught him uh, the ways of our family. And yet immediately we found out that burned into his mind, uh, even at three years old or two years old, was a particular behavior. Uh, he had learned that this is the way to get what he desired. And it was to use his teeth on us. And to, to bite. I don't know how much Caleb remembers of that, but, but this was a difficult time. Uh, and in fact, we, we then were in contact with uh, the, the adoptive parents of the, the foster sister that uh, was, was with him in the same family uh, before uh, she came to the States as well and come to find out the exact same thing they were going through. And so what was this? This was a, a pattern within the family. Uh, you, you'd, you'd bite in order to get attention and in order to get your way and it hurt <laughs> and it went on and on and I remember thinking uh, as we went week after week and we were training him in different ways not to do this we had marks on our arms and other places and I remember thinking when is this going to end we've taught him again and again but it keeps on coming back it was ingrained in him because that was the pattern in which he had he had lived you know, one reason that we find in this passage so much repetition in this issue is because we're no different than the disciples. You know, even though we may be able to say, I've been adopted into a new family. I have found my forever home. And we may have new hearts. And we may have new desires. Yet the old patterns are still there aren't they? Many of them. They're, they're ingrained. You know, Jesus says, follow me. Follow my ways. Live according to my pattern. Yet, as he's going to say to his disciples at a later point in the garden, remember he said to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And isn't that true in our own lives if you know your own heart? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's true when it comes to those difficult areas, right? Maybe it's dying to self. Maybe it's 
no longer needing those accolades of other people uh, to, to uphold us and to lift us up. Maybe it's accepting difficult circumstances that come into our lives, but receiving them with contentment. You know, and these, and, and there are many more, of course, do you ever find yourself going back to the old pattern? Uh, and, and, and that being manifest in your life so that others can see that pattern. Uh, and so that someone might look at me and someone might look at you and kind of shake their head and say, isn't he, isn't she going to get it? Can't they understand? Uh, do they not have this new life? And so why? Why do we keep falling back into these patterns again? Uh, you know, the same was true with, with Caleb. I, I was asking that question, why? When is this going to end? Uh, but that's, that's what sanctification is all about, isn't it? It's about the Lord doing a work inside of us, just as our family needed to do a work with Caleb. And, and I will give you the end of the story. It did end, so just so you'll have that in mind. But, uh, but the same with the Lord, that he, he is constantly working in us. It's a process. And so as we hear the Lord's teaching, and as we recognize uh, who we are and what the Lord Jesus has really done, and as we trust in Him more and more and, and, and give ourselves over to Him in faith and repentance, faith and repentance, then He brings about that change inside of us, which seems so difficult and so painful at times, so that we do experience the pleasure of the Lord. And we, we experience the ability to walk in, in a greater true holiness with Him. That is the process of sanctification. And, and so in, in today's passage, Jesus is going to use this flawed request from James and John to again exhort the disciples in how to live in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and in many ways, He's giving them the same message that we've been hearing all along uh, the, the one that they have such a difficult time grasping. Yeah, this time he does it partly in the, in the context of leadership. This is how, how you live as leaders within the kingdom of heaven. Yet it's still the same message there. And he's going to say that greatness in the kingdom of heaven is measured in terms of humility and sacrificial living like Christ rather than in the ways of those old patterns. Just a couple of ways that he, he brings that, this out. Uh, number one, that living in the kingdom of heaven involves sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And then secondly, living in the kingdom of heaven involves following the servanthood of Christ. Or we could say the, the servant leadership of Christ. So, the first focus on, on suffering. The sufferings of Christ. Uh, Jesus makes it clear that living in God's kingdom calls for each person that's a part of that kingdom uh, to have a readiness to endure whatever suffering might be required of us for the cause of Christ. You know, when, when Jesus first heard the, the requests of these two men as it was brought by their mother, uh, you know, look at what he said to them. He said... <laughs> You, you do not know what you're asking. Now, at one level, uh, even with all of Jesus' teaching, 
we might expect the disciples to know backwards and forwards, this is what the kingdom is, this is what it's all about. But in reality, and, and we don't just get this here, there are a couple of other places, but in reality, they didn't really understand the nature of this kingdom uh, of heaven or the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and so the, their thought appeared to be something like uh, Rome. You know, Rome that has an earthly kingdom, uh, just more glorious. And so that's, that's in their minds. Now, I do wonder if we went around the room this morning uh, and I were to pick out particular people and, and ask, can you stand up and, and tell us uh, what the kingdom of heaven is in Scripture, what it's talking about uh, here as, as Jesus speaks about it? I wonder how many would able, be able to give an accurate picture uh, to us of that. Now, you may feel like you're off the hook because I'm in the middle of a sermon and I'm not going to do that. And you're right. <laughs> but, but let me ask, if this is something about, uh, something similar to what you might come up with if you were to try to describe it. The kingdom is a present kingdom. It's here today. And yet not in its fullness. The kingdom is also a, a spiritual kingdom. It's made up of people all over the world who have voluntarily said, my life is no longer my own. My life has been given in submission to another, one other, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus. And Him and Him alone will I serve and follow, not perfectly, but follow all the days of my life by His Word and by His Spirit working inside of me. How, how am I doing? This is pretty close to what you would have, would have said about the kingdom. Uh, just one more thing, that this kingdom in its visible and institutional form, now that's not a popular word today, institutional, uh, but it, it gives a picture of what this is talking about. The, the kingdom in its visible form is that which we call the church. And every subject of the kingdom, or virtually every subject of the kingdom, is a member of a local church somewhere. So that they are a part of that body, that bigger body of Christ, submitted to the King, uh, who is the King Jesus. It, it, again, is that close to the picture that you have in your mind? Is that what you would have said? Well, that is the kingdom. Yet at this point, James and John failed to grasp that in full. They failed to, to, to grasp and to understand the nature of the kingdom, but also they failed to grasp what they were really talking about when they, they, they sought to be great in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus asks them, he, he says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Now, to drink the cup means to receive the suffering. Uh, in both the Old Testament and New, uh, we see many passages that talk about drinking the cup. And it is to receive that suffering. And in most places, you know, it's talking about receiving the suffering. In fact, Jesus is going to say, and this is later again in the garden, He's going to say, remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And the cup that Jesus is talking about is the same that Jesus is talking about here with James and John. 
when he's, he's saying, are you able to participate in my suffering? Now, they've asked for glory. They've asked for greatness in the kingdom, to sit on the left and the right, to be exalted. And what Jesus is telling them is that this is the path of greatness in this kingdom. Uh, it is the path of receiving, accepting the suffering that is set before you. Now, even though they, they, they don't understand fully what they're saying, but they, they reply to Jesus, we are able. And Jesus tells them, you will drink my cup. Now, we actually see that with James. We see it with John. Uh, James will be the first one to be martyred. Uh, we see it in the book of Acts. John, later on the island of, of Patmos, He's been exiled. He's suffering persecution. And we do know or believe from, from history, tradition, that perhaps all of the disciples uh, were martyrs for the faith. And that was the cup that they were drinking. Jesus said, you will drink my cup. But what Jesus was saying also was that to be in this kingdom means to be ready, ready to share in His suffering. Remember, he said, you will drink my cup. Now, that's the message that Jesus is giving here, that there will be suffering in the kingdom. But it's not just any suffering. It is a particular suffering. You will drink my cup. Now, now think about it. Jesus drank uh, the cup of God's wrath. And therefore, believers are free from the wrath that they deserve. That's Jesus coming and stepping in our place and being a, a substitution for us. That we don't receive that which is owed to us, the wrath of God. And so he, he drank that cup. And so because of His sacrifice, we won't receive that judgment. But what Scripture affirms is that now we are enabled. In fact, it says we have the privilege of being able to partake in Christ's suffering. In other words, suffering for the name of Christ, suffering for the cause of Christ. The world around us, what does it look like when it comes to suffering? It's avoidance, isn't it? No matter what, avoid all suffering. Uh, yet we're enabled to embrace suffering because of the cause of Christ. You know, the Apostle Peter later would, would write this to those who are being persecuted. Uh, he would say uh, to them, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. When Christ returns, you'll be able to rejoice because now, in this day, you're sharing in Christ's sufferings as you, as you go through persecution. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, the message is that there is such blessing in what Christ has done and in partaking in that, that there should be more and more inside of us a readiness to suffer for that cause. You know, sometimes you hear about particular battles that took place in, in World War II, other wars. Uh, and you'll hear where men of a particular unit were fighting together and they were, they were suffering together, even facing death together uh, because they were under a commanding officer. 
who they looked to and they respected and they loved. Uh, and therefore, they were uh, willing, at least in part, to face even death willingly and boldly uh, because they were under this commanding officer. If, if that's true with flesh and blood, how much more is it true when we are able to be yoked together with the Lord Jesus who gave Himself for us. And therefore, suffering is a part of this kingdom. Now that suffering we know can take many different forms. Uh, we can have, and I know there are those here who have family members uh, in which there are very difficult relationships because of your faith in Christ. Uh, they stand against. There are others uh, in other groups who may ridicule you, who may disregard you at times, for those here who may be going off to college at some point, and the same is true in, in much of the workplace, uh, you can expect all types of, of ill treatment and ridicule. For anyone who's been involved in competitive sports, you'll know that if you choose to honor the Lord's day, to honor His day that you, you may be counted out of much of the, the opportunity to excel uh, because of what happens on the Lord's day today when it comes to sports. In addition to that, we can go around the world and look and there's persecution. There is oppression that takes place. Uh, even death, martyrdom. All for the cause of Christ but recognize how that, that readiness for people to face that suffering, where that comes from, the willingness to move forward, even the joy that can be there, it's from knowing Christ. You know, here is, uh, is Paul in Romans chapter 5. He says, Since we now have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Uh, we, we, we look at what Christ has done. We recognize the, the sacrifice that He has made. Paul even says at one point in 2 Corinthians, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Living in the kingdom involves suffering for the cause of Christ. But not only that, it also involves servanthood. Servanthood. Uh, this is, I think, especially where the radical nature of the kingdom uh, can be seen. Uh, the whole value system that we have in this world is turned upside down here as we look at what it means, what Jesus says it means to be a leader in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this applies not only to leaders, but uh, to, to all, but especially for leadership. And, and back in our, our passage, you look at the response of... The, the remaining disciples. There were the two disciples, James and John, who had their mother go to Jesus. And then there were the other ten. Uh, we don't know where they were, but kind of standing on the side. And then they realized what uh, request had been made of Jesus. And, and it says that they were indignant at the two brothers. Uh, now think about what was going on inside of them. They were indignant. They were resentful. Uh, they, they would have been saying, why should you get this position of honor? Uh, not, what about the rest of us? 
And you can think about the mindset there. It's my honor. It's my prestige. It's my recognition by others. Think about what I've earned. Uh, I have a right to this. Now, it wasn't just with the disciples, was it? Within a church, there can be uh, elders. There can be deacons, pastors uh, who say, I've been selected, I've been chosen on the basis of, you know, of the work that I've done, on the basis of, of who I am and what I'm able to provide. And therefore, I, I have a right to this. Therefore, I have authority. Now, it's easy to make that sound good, isn't it? Because there is a partial truth there. Leadership positions do very often, most often, come with authority. But that doesn't justify the pride. That doesn't justify the envy that's there that so often accompanies it. When that position is threatened, and that's what's happening here, there is a threatening to the ten disciples. The same can be here with us. And so they became indignant. And so Jesus responds to them and really a rather gentle way, he, he simply sets them apart. Uh, and, and he says, look, you're different. And, and there's a line that must be drawn there. It kind of reminds me of, of a dad who's got maybe teenagers, and they're, the teenagers are part of a group. It might be a school or some other group. They may be going on a trip. And he says to them, listen, in this crowd... There are going to be all sorts of behavior that's going to take place. There are going to be kids picking on other kids. There are going to be improper language, immoral behavior. And then he says, looking straight at them, it shall not be so among you. What's he doing? He's setting them apart. He's saying, you're different. And therefore, you need to live out of that Difference And the difference that's there is not just something that is superficial. Uh, he's drawing that clear line. Now that's the type of message that Jesus is delivering to His disciples. And He's saying, inside the kingdom, there is this difference. Outside the kingdom, especially here, He's referring to leadership. You're going to see this difference that's there. And so He puts the Gentile leaders uh, on one side of the line. Uh, those who are outside. Uh, he's speaking of them like uh, unbelievers here. And he says that, uh, you, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They lord it over their subjects, uh, those who are under them. What he's saying is they're self-centered. They use their own power to advance their own agendas. They domineer. They certainly have no love for their subjects. You know, in this type of environment, there are the haves and there are the have-nots, no matter what is, is presented. And that's something we're all too familiar with, isn't it? Because that is the way of the world. But Jesus says, it is not to be so among you. You're altogether different. And then he gives them essentially the same message that we've been getting all the way through up to this point. It is tailored for those who are in leadership positions within the kingdom, but it's the same message, in, and in doing so, he reverses that worldly hierarchy. Uh, he, he says, and this is verse 25, 
I'm sorry, verse 26, he says, after saying, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. How many times have we heard this same message from him? That's a message about humbling yourself. Remember, he used a child and set the child amongst them and said, be like this. And he was speaking about humility. It's also a message of giving up of that which you hold on so tightly to. Remember the rich young ruler uh, who was holding so tightly onto his possessions. Uh, Jesus said, sell what you possess and follow me. He was saying, hold on loosely, give up of that which you hold on tightly to. And it's a message of setting aside rights as we saw last week. Remember he said, the first shall be last and the last first. Well, they needed to hear it again and again and again. What about you when it comes to this message? It's a message that's radically different from the world around us. It's a message that requires us to die to self, which is not easy. Do you need to hear this message again and again? I'd ask you, how good are you at recognizing uh, we, we see these two disciples, James and John, their mother come before. Uh, there's the, and then we see the other ten. There's envy there. There's pride there. How good are you at recognizing envy within yourself? Pride within yourself that kind of wells up. Maybe it's because of your status or position that might be threatened by someone else. What do you do? Do you simply allow it to run its course within you? And then you act upon those feelings. You know, we're talking about a strong temptation here. Uh, at, the, at the core of our being that, that holds on to who we uh, put ourselves forward as being. Or, or, do you say no? I'm not going to continue in this way. I recognize what this is. I see that there is pride there, that there is envy there. And I'm going to allow the Lord to work upon this. This is part of that old pattern, the old nature that's inside of me. And therefore, it needs to be dealt with. This is no longer who I am. So rather than focusing upon yourself and upon your rights, you put yourself in the position of one who is in the kingdom and who is able to care for others first, to love others first, to put them above yourself and your own desires. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about taking the position of a servant, even a slave. And He says this is the way of greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom leadership. Servant leadership. And you might ask, well, how is that even possible? It's all there in verse 28. He says, even as... There's a likeness here. There's an example to follow. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Remember what it means to be a part of the kingdom? It means that you have given up of your own rule, your own ways, and you're following Christ. You've submitted yourself to Christ and to Him and His 
word. And therefore, you're dependent upon Him. You're being fed by Him and what He has done. This is the one whom we follow in the kingdom of heaven. He's the one who has gone before us. Uh, He's the one who has served us. He's the one who has loved us. Earlier this morning in... uh, in Sunday school, right at the end, I read this passage. I've, I've got to go there again. It's in Philippians chapter 2, where, where Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, where Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be hung on to, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And running all the way through that message is the word for, for, for you, for me. That's why he did it. He loved us. I'll just say, if you don't know that love, if you haven't experienced that love of Christ then you can't. You can't really, truly love in this sacrificial way. And so, number one, first and foremost, you've got to take care of that. You've got to recognize your own need as a sinner, and you've got to look to Christ and trust in Him and what He alone has done and can do for you, giving you eternal life, taking care of the sin that you have so that the slate is wiped clean. And you're able to be together with God. But if you do know this love, if you know the one who has served you, who has sacrificed himself to you, then you're a part of this kingdom. And you have everything that you need in order to live in this way day after day. It is a process. This is sanctification we're talking about. It's not easy. But we love because he first loved us. Isn't that the great message? We're able to love, truly love, because He first loved us, because He gave Himself, as that passage I just read, He gave Himself as a ransom for us. He paid the price. Let me close with this. This was our, our assurance of pardon from earlier out of 1 Peter chapter 1. And it says, knowing, that's internalizing, that's That's understanding and living your life daily out of this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things. That's not how you were bought, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That is the love of God, and that is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, receiving accepting the suffering that might be there because of who He is and what He's done, and then living in a sacrificial way for others. And it is a process, something that takes place over time, but the Lord does that work inside of us. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You this morning that, uh, that we don't just read these words. It's not just something that's here on a page that that, that sounds good, but we're talking about reality. We're talking about a true kingdom. It may be a spiritual kingdom, yet our hearts 
are involved in it, engaged in it. And Father, we thank you that we can know that this is a work that you do inside of us from beginning to end. Help us to see that, to know that, to take joy in that, and to live out of that day after day. We do pray for your help in Christ's name.